And welcome back to another fantastic edition of the official 615 podcast. So thankful you're on this journey with us. Let's bring in the great Greg Pogue. Greg, good to see you again. Wow, that's an adjective you hadn't used lately to describe right. me, but I appreciate it. Hi, Joe. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. We want to thank our friends at Wilson County Hyundai for being proud sponsors of the official 615 podcast. Check out their website, wilsoncountyhyundai.com. See all the great deals and the great job that Payne Bone and his staff do down there, making sure that you are number one at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. And once again, recording the official 615 podcast here at Kitchen Notes, Omni Nashville Hotel. Thanks to Music City, Todd Rotermel, the great staff down here. They take care care of us every week and got a guest you want to do the honors you want me to well uh i'll start it and you can take it uh i'd love to get in this man's head because the knowledge he has of baseball in nashville and just overall uh, mesmerizes me that sound good yeah skip nipper yes if there is a yeah don't bury the lead okay <laughs> if, if there is a nashville mr baseball if you will Guy comes wearing a Jackie Robinson 42 cap, like that. you know, blue and um, from the Brooklyn Dodgers days. But Skip, thanks for doing this. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I was wondering who you were going to say. Yeah, <laughs> that would be uh, Tim Corbett. There are, <laughs> there, are, there are lots of Mr. Baseball. Yes, in there are. There are. And, and just, I know, this past Sunday night, the 84th annual old time, oh, 84th, no smarty, I wasn't there at the first one, okay? <laughs> the 84th annual old timer uh, baseball association banquet. Tommy John spoke. The The line of people who have spoken that is a who's who of baseball. Let's, let's start there. Tell us about the old timers baseball association. Well, it started in 1938. Yeah. Some guys uh, sitting around at uh, Speedy's Grill, I think, and having a couple of beers and talking baseball hot stove. And back then it was quite a contingent of major league players that were here. This was their home. So wintertime and hot stove made sense. And they got together and it's grown. This is our 84th, like you said. It's a lot of fun. We don't uh, drink a lot of beer like we like they used to, but uh, – it's good, and the conversation around the tables is just yeah. as good as good as it was back in '38. What is its mission today? Well, we want to be the the uh, the go-to group that uh, everyone knows supports baseball at all levels, and we support it from little league all the way up to uh, colleges. We give money away. We like to raise money at our golf tournament. Give it away as scholarships. We're up over six hundred thousand dollars in nice. twenty-four years, and we. Our funds that we raise from our banquet goes to help programs. Like we gave Waverly baseball team, I think about $3,000 to help them rebuild their field. So people can put requests in for their high school or their, or their uh, amateur program. And we consider all of them that come in and try to give a little something to everybody. What a guest list. I mean, you had Tommy John. You've had some of the biggest stars in baseball. And see a Tommy John who you mentioned his name. And Bucky Dent, Raleigh Fingers, yeah. George Steinbrenner. Right. Yeah. yeah. Greg liked the Raleigh Fingers one. Oh, That's what it made him excited. Nick, oh, yeah. it's Nick, Skip, Nick the Stick. I almost called him Nick yeah. Hunter. <laughs> so we edit that out. Uh, Skip gave me a two Greg signed Raleigh Fingers Sports Illustrated magazine wrapped uh, that he got for me. And they, that was from 1982, 82, yeah. the year they won, they're in the world series. So actually there was an invoice in there. I don't know if you <laughs> like, all, like all the, uh, yes, I saw it. And like all the others, it went in the payable stack. Uh, yeah. I want to ask you, what is it about the guys that Greg just mentioned who come and do this bank with the They get sales out and people want to see him about these guys. Cause I, I got to think 40 years from now, when uh, somebody comes through, it's not going to have that same effect, but yet we're inundated with all the coverage and the websites. And back then, there was none of that. Well, the key word for, I think, for our group is old-timer. 
and we try to bring in older guys. Like we did have Sonny Gray a few years ago, and he was fantastic. But he's been he had been coming to our banquet for a few years on his own. Bought his own ticket, actually bought his own table. So when you have a guy like that, it kind of meets the old to the new. But the older ones seem to be the ones that guys like me and others my age are interested in seeing. You know, Bobby Richardson, MVP of the 1960 World Series, he was fantastic. He's, in fact, he's the only MVP of a World Series that was not on the winning team. And he's just fantastic. He he was great. Uh, Harmon Killebrew was one of my favorites. Sure. I mean, you know, you get those kind of guys. To it, may, it brings you like a kid, right? I get a little of that, the, the stories yeah. and everything. Uh, the scholarship outreach, 20-something, uh, 16, 16, 16, 16 high school seniors, scholarships. And uh, in, in that was derived not only for their athletic, but other yeah. parts of, you know, academics and other things. Well, so, ability really yeah. has nothing to do with it. Yeah. It's about their uh, work in the community, their mm -hmm. grades, certainly. And then, yeah. the, you know, you get a letter of recommendation from their coach and from their parent and from others outside of their school. So we all consider all those things. And it's it's, it's a great thing. And it's, it's quite a task to go through all those to pick that we determine how much money we're going to give first. And then we have to decide how much we, how many we want to give out and, that's a daunting task. Who is the one guest you would love to have? The one guest I would love to have, I think, is Pete Rose. <sighs> I called his manager, um, yeah, his manager one time, his personal manager, and he was a little bit more expensive than we <laughs> could pay our <laughs> no budget. Way. I would, I would not, uh, I would not turn my back on the controversy. I think the discussion would be fantastic. I think the city would welcome him, and I think we could get him involved in other events. I would love to have Pete Rose here. He is still revered in so many ways. I, a friend of mine ran into him in Vegas at a, ironically, a sports betting place and uh, talked to him for an hour and said he couldn't have been any nicer. That's what I hear. My uh, my wife and I were working a sporting show down in Atlanta one time, and he had his own booth, or somebody had him there for, you know, as a, as a, a celebrity. And he was sitting there by himself and towards the end of the show, and my wife and I walked over. He couldn't have been more gracious. Right. Yeah, it's terrific. <laughs> that is great to see something like that, a Pete Rose like that. So that would be – who has been your guest, the one that's come through that you've just, like, head over heels? Well, Harmon Killebrew was because I, idol, I have idolized him since I was a youngster. And I just knew a lot about his career, studied his career. And when he got off the plane, I happened to be president that year, and he and his wife came down. You know, when you go pick up your guest at the airport, if they don't show, then we're in real trouble. <laughs> Got to go, go to Plan B. So once you see him come down the, the, the gate there, then uh, you think pretty we're pretty good for the weekend. But he, from the beginning, started talking about you know answering the questions I would ask without asking too many because I wanted to hear what he had to say. He had some moonshots, didn't he? Oh, he was oh. he was just fantastic. They say that they've got his the seat from. Metro, Metro Dome Stadium, got it in that mall up there, up on the wall. Yeah. So, you know, he's still revered. Yeah, the Met, Metropolitan still, Stadium. Still, yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Where did the historian in you, because if you, you are the go-to guy for Nashville baseball history. There are many, but you've been involved with documents, book documentaries, books, all of that, and obviously chronicled – all the way back, you know, Sulphurdale. Yeah. You can't. We can't have this conversation without bringing up Sulphurdale. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where it started. And yeah, you're, and you're very kind, first of all, because I have people that I go to also. Well, I'm a member of Sabre, the Society for American Baseball Research, and through that, we have a Nashville chapter, and we have other chapters, and other groups like a minor league group and a Negro leagues group. And there's always someone who can answer your question. So I don't hesitate, and I don't hate. I don't hesitate to respond if somebody asks me something. Recently, the Negro Leagues has kind of come to the forefront because of the 
100th anniversary in 2020. So I've shifted into that a little bit more. But I think when I started, my dad and I had gone to a sales meeting in Chicago. We, we worked together. And he started talking about it. We had gone to Wrigley Field, his trip to Wrigley Field. That was his first one, too. And he got when we got on the plane, he talked about how much that reminded him of Sulphurdale. So the internet, internet. This is early 2000s. So the internet was just getting cranked up, and I could, I can, uh, still to this day, I can Google with the best of them. If you find <laughs> a good, you can find a good search engine, yeah. you know, and then you can, uh, you can find out your information. There's very little about Sulphurdale. So I actually went to the state. And, uh, and started Sulphurdale Incorporated. It kind of grew from there, started a website. And when I started that, and then I printed up some T-shirts and went to Germantown's uh, uh, Oktoberfest. And people bought those T-shirts and told me stories. And I had to get a book out and have people write down their stories and phone numbers. So it kind of grew from there. That's kind of re really where it started. Did you have any idea the depth of that Sulphurdale Sulfur when you started? No, just from what I remember as a kid, the big sign that said baseball's most historic park since 1870. Well, wow, that goes way back. Yeah. And Fred Russell later said that he had found some references to baseball games being played there soon after the Civil War. So 1866, maybe, you know. But because I mean, there is some conversation that it might have originated here before in other places of our country in the Northeast that claim its origination. Well, I think they were playing baseball here before the Civil War. We, we've kind yeah. of documented that, only a couple of references. But when the Civil War broke out, Nashville had the second largest, in 1862, had the second largest contingent of Union soldiers next to Atlanta. So what did Union soldiers do for recreation when they came from the North where they'd been playing baseball? Mm -hmm. They played baseball. Wow. And there are records of prison camps where prisoner of war camps where the, the Confederates that were in prison played the Yankees in a Sunday afternoon baseball <laughs> game. And the towns came out. That was yeah. in like Andersonville, South Carolina. And there was another one in Michigan or vice versa on the on whether it was the Yankees or the other or the rebels. But, but still, that's how interested it was. And so when as soon as the Civil War was over, a guy named John Dickens started a baseball team here, 1866, Cumberlanders, the Cumberland Baseball Club. And they played a game in Louisville. Louisville came here and played. They played of all things. This is another thing, thing that you dig up as you start doing your research. The baseball field they played on was formerly Fort Gillum. It was not just Fort Negley here in town. It was a Fort Gillum. And after the war, they tore it down. And it's on Fisk University's campus. Wow. And when they raised the money, when the Jubilee Singers went overseas and raised money, they came back to Nashville. And those funds, they built Jubilee, uh, Jubilee Hall own Fort Gillum's baseball grounds. Now they continue to play baseball in that area. So we've got that connection too. What do you think of the history of the baseball in Nashville? Does it make you wonder why Nashville never got a pro team? It does. In the old days, I think it had a lot to do with the railroads. I mean, cities grew by the railroads. I read recently where the biggest city before, as the railroads started coming to the town was Shelbyville. And they bypassed Shelbyville. So Nashville was the kind of the center central hub and uh, I, don't, I don't know, you know, uh, Larry Schmidt did a great job in like 1992 or 1993 and made a presentation to Major League Baseball and it didn't get it. But, you know, it goes back that far as, as at least trying to get a team here. The Nashville Vols. Mm -hmm. Tell me a, a synopsis of them. Well, the team started in 1901 when the Southern Association began mm -hmm. and, and the Newt Fisher lived here. He was from here and he helped start the Southern Association and build a team. In fact, 1901 and 1902, Nashville won the Southern Association Championship. 
They didn't really have a name until 1908 when Grantland Rice was a sports writer here. And he put a contest out with his readers to um, give them three choices to choose from to give them a name. And one of them was the Lime Rocks, if you can believe that. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's so much lime around. Right. Rock around it. The second one was he shortened it to Rocks. Now, I think that'd be pretty cool for the Nashville Rocks because Nashville really yes. rocks. Yeah. Number three was the Nashville Volunteers. And as I have read, it was because the, the – uh, State Capitol was right there at the foot of the, uh, the baseball park, but pretty much right at the base of the, ball, of the state capitol. So uh, Nashville Volunteers won. They shortened it to Vols. And about that time, he also named the ballpark, changed the name from Athletic Park, at least in what he wrote, to Sulphur, Dale, Sulphur Springs Dale. And that was shortened to Sulphur Dale. Everybody loved the name. It stuck, and there you go. So that team, that team stayed in business until 1963. So Southern Association went out of business in 61. There was no baseball in 62. 1963, they came back as a member of the uh, South Atlantic League, but nobody, the, the draw was horrible. So they went out of business for however long it, until Larry Schmidt came to town, you know. Came well, that's another, that's the that's next story. chapter. <laughs> Skip Nipper yeah. is with us just talking baseball here on the official 615 podcast. Um, the, I've seen the pictures of, of, of the place would be packed. Yeah. But everybody would be wearing a suit and a tie. Yeah. What I mean, they it, it was it was a formal event, if you will. Exactly. They, people came dressed to to the nines. You could all you could always see a, a full house on Sunday afternoons, and people would come from church. And in the early days, there were no lights, so the games would start uh, Sunday doubleheader would start about four o'clock, three o'clock. So uh, you know they had to get those games over before it got too dark. But anyway, people came how they were dressed. It. At church, wow. just came right on. And Wife. right field had a incline mm-hmm. instead of a uh, like Craw- Oak Crosley Field mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. There wasn't a, a warning track. Right. You started going up a little hill. Right. You're getting close to the wall. Up the hill, 262 feet from home plate to right field. But there was a 40 foot five degree angle that began about 30 feet outside of second base. And there was a little <laughs> shelf carved out there. The players would carve about halfway up because you didn't know whether to run in on a ground ball or. It was tough to go up a hill on a fly ball. Well, and I've heard so many stories about young kids sneaking in. Yeah. You, that, those stories. Well, yeah, the greatest story, I think, to that, Jeannie McBride was our Mr. Baseball. He was, uh, he and his wife lived out in uh, in West Nashville, but he was their the local coach. He was the local go-to guy, co- coached amateur ball. One of the managers for 10 years in Nashville was Larry Gilbert. And Larry Gilbert, Jeannie told me once that Larry Gilbert would call him and they'd go scout players together for the majors, I mean, for minor league baseball or pro ball. And he told me that in early, I don't remember when it was, 1920 or 1918, that he slid down the ice chute to get in the ballpark at Sulphurdale. <laughs> and once he did, it landed him pretty close to the field, and he looked over and a guy waved him over from the field, and it was Honus Wagner. Oh. And he said Honus Wagner threw him a glove and a ball and helped him warm up. Maybe should have thrown him one of those Honus Wagner baseball <laughs> yeah, cards. And no were, kidding. Yeah, right. <laughs> you could, all right, so explain the stadium now. We know First Horizon Park, whatever it's called now. Mm-hmm. Uh, same spot as Sulphurdale, but in a different kind of direction? Yeah, a little bit different configuration. It, it overlaps at about second base to first base. There's actually a, a, a marker where home plate was uh, down, the, down the concourse side before you get to the little golf course. Yeah. There's a marker there. It's a home plate that marks where that, where that home plate is approximately was do you think it was important that the sounds 
put that stadium over there? Was that important for just re kind of revisiting and reliving this history oh, that we I have? Think it's, I think it was an excellent choice. I never was a fan of going to where the Ascend Amphitheater is. That's one of the places that they were interested in going. I think that was the perfect place to build it. And and when they decided to build it there, there was hardly anything there now. If you go down there now, there's all kinds of things, entertainment and homes, you know, residential areas. It's just amazing. It is. Uh, they've done such a great job over there. You listen to the official 615 podcast with a special guest, Skip Nipper. This is brought to you by our good friends at Wilson County Hyundai. And check them out at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Payne Bone and his staff, amazing job of getting you in the right and perfect car. Again, just check them out online at wilsoncountyhyundai.com. Skip Nipper is our guest talking baseball in our city. And you mentioned him, Larry Schmidto, the, yeah. you know, if you want to start doing the Mount Rushmore, Larry Schmidto's there. Obviously, even before the Nashville Sounds, coaching Vanderbilt baseball, winning SEC championship uh, there, uh, and everything he did locally, high schools, youth, all the stuff. But the Sounds – Returned. It returned minor league baseball, and I guess initially in the Southern League Double A, and then on to the Triple A level. And that place was the place to be for thirty years. He is the he is Mr. Baseball. Mm -hmm. I think he is the number one most influential influential baseball person in the history of Nashville. He got it to go, he got it together, and he made it work. He did. He will tell you that Conway Twitty was kind of the key ingredient to invest in the ball team, but to to build a stadium. And everybody told him it couldn't be done, and uh, and it was a great success. I think he taught a lot of minor league teams and and a lot of major league teams how to um, how to bring people into the park. You know, I think he was a great promoter, one of the best. Get all those tickets at Kroger's at the he, game back in the day. And Captain D's, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then, I always liked the ice cream and the and the baseball cap. We all did. I mean, no, there's yeah. a fond memories. It's funny because I think 78, they were Yankees Farm Club. Yankees won the World Series. 84, they were the Tigers. Tigers won the World Series. 90, they were the Reds. And the Reds won the World Series. So I remember, you know, going to games and I worked at Kroger in Bell Forge and one of the people that kept was Chris Sabo. Oh, yeah. And he gave me tickets to the game and uh, all those guys, you know, Rob uh, Dibble and those guys that came through. So there's been this great history of these farm clubs, these players that have come through here. But the one moment, Skip, I'll never forget, Michael Jordan. Of course. In 94. My uncle, uh, Walter, I own National Sporting Goods, was also an investor. And you could go down to his office anytime. And he would pull a fistful of tickets out of his desk and say, how many do you want? <laughs> and we would always go to the Michael Jordan Birmingham right. Bears game, and they drew great crowds. That, was, if you remember, was double-A while there was also a triple-A. Yeah, I, I want to get to that yeah. because they had they were yeah. the Nashville Express. They were the Express. For the Twins. Yes. I think that's yeah. right. For yeah. two years. So people don't realize we had two minor leagues uh, uh, going on at the same time. Yeah, the Larry is now in the bowling business, and will tell you the difference between bowling and baseball is there's never a rain out. <laughs> but, but well, I'll tell you this. He owned the Music City Jammers mu yeah, Municipal Jammers, Auditorium. Had a rain out. Sure did. He yeah. did. And but he he was he was able to put that together so that there was I don't think there was a, a single season a day, a day where there was not a, maybe an All Star game where there was not baseball in Nashville. 145 or 50 games. And go back to the ice cream. He said he invented that. He saw a guy selling those little batting helmets. Mm -hmm. And he ordered 10,000 maybe at this show for baseball teams. And somebody said, what are you going to do at 10,000? <laughs> How much is I'm going to put ice cream in? And he taught everybody, once again, 
how to promote. That's just, that's, that's brilliant to yeah. all that. I want to go back real quick to your research because today these kids can get on the internet and hop up and do everything and punch where they see. But for a lot of the Sulphur Sulphur Dell stuff, you have to physically go to the archives, right? Did you see that? Did you have to do that? Well, you used to. Now with uh, websites like newspapers.com, it's a little easier. Uh, it's really hard to go through microfilm. I mean, you're you know, I'm kind of like you remember the Raisin Bran Man where the, yeah. your eyes would start turning <laughs> in numbers. That's kind of how I feel after about an hour of microfilm. <laughs> but you know, to to be able to, I tell you, the hardest part about researching online is going down rabbit holes. You'd be looking for something like you type in Sulphurdale in All-Star Game. And you bring it brings up a page or many pages. And the next thing you know, you look down in the right-hand corner and Fred Russell has written an order about, uh, written a, uh, an article about, I don't know, Dick Sisler. And you're interested in Dick Sisler, who was a manager here for a few years. And then, you you know, you kind of get interested in what Dick Sisler had to say. So you kind of lose focus. So I've got lots of, I've got lots of uh, unsaved do or saved documents that are incomplete. Right. I mean, and uh, tentacles book and bookmarks. Oh, you're not kidding. <laughs> when, when teams would come back back in those days, I remember I've read a bunch of your stuff. Major league teams would play these minor league teams. Was it because they were coming back from spring training would happen like in March in those games. And a lot of times it was two teams would always travel together. In the early '50s, it was the Milwaukee Brewers. One year was the uh, excuse me, the Milwaukee Braves. The Boston Braves one year before they moved to. To Milwaukee, traveled with the Brooklyn Dodgers five wow. straight seasons, and they would stop in Montgomery and play, and they would stop in Birmingham and play, stop in Chattanooga, and then come to Nashville. So that's how they traveled. Imagine time. that yeah. happening today. I think they'd all play cards together on the train. You know, Sulphurdale, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth appeared here seven or eight times. Mm -hmm. uh, he sure did. In Nashville, Nashville um, in 1926, after the 26 season, they turned the ballpark around because. Once again, there are no lights, so they have to have afternoon games. And the, where a home plate was, was looking towards the state capitol. And so the setting sun was always in the batter's eyes. Had a new ownership group came in, and they decided to turn the ballpark completely around. And Babe Ruth came that in a game, uh, a rematch game between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Yankees that the Cardinals had just beaten them in the World Series. So it was a rematch to the World Series. And the heat, first time up, it's a home run. First, <laughs> The first inning, it's a home run. St. Louis beat them 10 to 8. That was also the game where the state legislature invited him to come up to speak, and he said he didn't have enough time, so they adjourned the legislature early, and they all went down to the ballpark. <laughs> That's priorities right there. <laughs> Do we, I mean, we talk about Michael Jordan and, and LeBron and Kobe Bryant, all those guys on that level. I mean, could we? Is it? Can we fathom the level that Babe Ruth was back then? Because I don't think we can. I don't think we can. I think he's still iconic. There's some been some talk about. Uh, retiring his number, number three. You know why he had? You know why he wore number three? Because he was number three in the batting order. <laughs> that, that's how they when they, 1929 they decided. I think that was the year they decided to put numbers on the back of their uniforms, and they did it based on who was coming up to bat. So I can't remember all the names, but what was Gary? Uh, Gary was five. Mm -hmm. When they retired his number, nobody else ever wore number five for the Yankees because they they he was on the team when they put that right. system in. He wore number five. That's all. Nobody, nobody else wore it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't imagine. I mean, this, you hear the stories about Babe and everything. Yeah, yeah. And you tell me the legislature, they they kind of conformed to him, not him to them. So that kind of put it. The, uh, That's how big he was. <laughs> yeah. You could tell the legislature ain't coming. <laughs> and they probably, uh, Democrats and Republicans probably walked down together, well, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> and I've said this before. I think there's something safe about a ballpark. Mm -hmm. you can, it's not like a football game or a basketball game. Lots of yelling and you can actually talk to your neighbor 
And I don't think people care where you go to church. I don't think they care about your uh, your affiliation with a political party. It, baseball is just something safe about it. And they will build it, Ray. Exactly. They will, you know, of course, exactly. the line uh, from that, where, where are we headed? Um, I know through the Old Timer Baseball Association, you work with a lot of the, the, the youth leagues. Um, I know there's always going to be a push for uh, urban, inner city, uh, to, to, for a, to grow that demographic, certainly. Uh, how do you feel about the future of baseball? I know we're not against the backdrop of the, the lockout that's going on right now, but in general, how do you feel about its growth uh, among fans and beyond just the sport itself? Strictly my opinion, right. I, and based on what I read and what I see and what I hear, the travel teams have kind of taken over that you don't have the little league teams and the Bay Ruth teams, and you may have a tryout for a six and under team, which you know should be an evaluation, not a tryout for a kid that young. But I think the base is still so strong. There's still batting cages around. The coaching is really, really good in Nashville. And I think colleges, golly Moses, how many colleges do we, do we have that are playing baseball here? And you think about those coaches like Jeff Forehand and even Woody Hunt at Cumberland who just retired. All those guys are great guys and impact people. And I think with their guidance, that has continued to build that baseball uh, uh, foundation for us. Now, I am a historian for the Nashville Stars, which is an attempt to bring attention to Nashville for Major League Baseball to put a franchise here of some sort. And I can see, I, I hear people say it'll never work, it'll never work. Yes, it will work. We're not talking about today. It won't work today, but it will work in the future somehow. Uh, we, I just know Major League Baseball, Nashville is on Major League Baseball's radar. You can, you, can, you can bet on that. Well, and I would have said 10, 15, 20, maybe, 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 but with the with Oracle coming in, all of the, you know, just the international corporations that are finding their way here, I would have said uh, no maybe even as 10 years ago. I don't believe that now and for what it would take. My one question, though, with the Nashville Stars, would that have to be through expansion? Because if a team moves here, then they would have to buy that team if they would maintain uh, for there to be ownership. Because unless the because with some team here, they still that team's got an owner moving it. Well, I'm not you the know? official source. Right. I want to tell you what I hear and what I sure. what I think. I think the model is the Nashville Predators. That mm -hmm. it would be a franchise uh, expansion franchise to build and build your your account your fan base. Mm -hmm. One of the things about fans, maybe Nashville's fans, maybe we're not strong enough there. But when you mention Oracle and some of these other country companies that are coming in, mm -hmm. they're bringing baseball fans here. And they're bringing them in the San Francisco Giant fans and the New York Yankee fans, the Milwaukee Brewers fans. Remember when the Detroit Red Wings fans all came to hockey games? Well, that's really changed. And I, yeah. think, I think we can make people the – I'm real proud to come to a Nashville Stars game. You know, uh, your opinion now on, say it happens, and building a stadium, I drive by the fairground and see the soccer stadium just emerging over yeah. the treetops. I think it's fantastic because it's not downtown. It's over kind of the suburbs. Where would you like to see if Skip Nipper could build a stadium, baseball, in Middle Tennessee, where would you build it? If I would build, if I had the money, if I had a gazillion billion dollars, I would build it where the right next to the football stadium, Nissan. But I'm not sure that that's going to happen. And I know that the Stars um, management are, are looking under an agreement with Tennessee State maybe to partner with Tennessee State on some government property there. And I've heard that there's property in Franklin. You know, the Atlanta Braves moved out of downtown Nashville and moved up to 
what is that, uh, Sandy Springs, right. built their own entertainment district, and that seems to be the wave of the future, too. So. Joe, your, poll, your parole people are, 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 are looking <laughs> I for gotta, you. Yeah, just a couple minutes, more questions <laughs> for Skip. Uh, I would love to see it, just like where Wrigley, I know it's kind of impossible, but to put a stadium like that in the middle of a neighborhood somewhere where it's just, you know, like Lambeau Field. You drive, and there's a neighborhood, and then, dude, there's a yeah, stadium. Yeah. It'd be so cool to have something like that in East Nashville. Well, yeah, but Battery Park. Uh, in yeah. Atlanta, oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. that yeah. that is amazing what they've done. Yeah, and, that, and that's the way. I and mean, you want to control your, you know, the entertainment. You want to control the parking and all yeah. those kind of things, which are pretty important too. We so. do want to mention that at Battery Park, that the Anchor Hotel for uh, Truist Park is an Omni. Yes, yeah. Yes, we stayed there. Yeah, no, not yet. Have you not? No. Uh, I mean, skip you know, down for a weekend. Uh, See the Braves in the. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. There you go. I know I've asked. <laughs> uh, I know you've made trips to spring training. I've only been to one spring training. Uh, what does that do to you when you go down with your friends? Well, the atmosphere is so good. It's so relaxed. And I always thought that, you know, you go to it just be like going to a I don't know, Shelby Park to watch a game. It is so much more it's so much better than that. And you're seeing fans that have come from their own cities, you know, from Detroit down to Lakeland to watch the Tigers play. Um, I, there's just nothing like it, and it's relaxed enough that even the players will come up to you and on the field, you know, before or after a game and sign away. Or we sat one time behind um, what's the Hayward kid that played for the Braves? Jason Hayward. Jason Hayward. Yeah. We sat behind his dad at spring training with the Braves one time. He just told us all these stories, about <laughs> and it was just great. I mean, they, you know, people are just were more relaxed, I think. But you're getting to see kids, young people, want to play to get to the next level. That's that makes the game good. Two quick stories about spring training. I was covering Nashville Banner. Uh, Bo Jackson uh, was with one of the you know Royals. Yeah, but right side. No, but he was affiliated with the team here at the time. Anyway, I was down there. Anyway, I got invited in to the clubhouse, and he was beating everybody ping pong. Everybody left. He asked me if I wanted to play, and I'm in there playing <laughs> ping pong with Bo Jackson. You know, and then another time. Did you win? Uh, no, no, hell no. Uh, <laughs> the, and, uh, and, and then uh, another time, Jim Leland was outside with his kids, and he his kids were the same age as I'd taken mine down. I was covering uh, in Sarasota. And so while he was watching his kids play, and he's older, but he had younger kids, and I was watching my kids play, and I sat there and talked to him for an hour. He smoked 118 cigarettes, <laughs> uh, but uh, it was but just that spring train. Who are you a fan of? Who, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll date myself, and, and my grandfather on my 10th birthday asked me who I was for in the World Series, mm-hmm. and I said, who's playing? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he said, the Pittsburgh Pirates and the New York Yankees. And I said, well, who are you for, granddaddy? And he said, the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Yankees always win. And I thought, well, if they always win, I'll go for the Yankees. <laughs> so I've been with the Yankees. Okay. I've been for the Yankees. Well, it's a good thing, even now, the Pir- Pirates have had some, you know, oh, gosh, the, yeah. you know, Willie Days and Roberto Clemente. So who are you a fan of, Joe? Are you a baseball fan? I, I used to be until the lockout in 94, and I stopped. I just think how you could cancel the World Series I was done. In my time, you had to either be Braves or the Cubs because of WGN and TBS. So uh, I fell in love with Dale Murphy and those awful 80s Braves teams. And then uh, number three, that's if they retire number three, Murphy's number is number three. And the fact that, Skip, and here I go, Greg knows this, (laughs) that Dale Murphy not being in the Hall of Fame infuriates me. Yeah, I think that's that's a good – Good, good thing to to be infuriated about. He deserves it. He's the only two time or back to back MVP person in the history of baseball, not in the Hall of Fame. I know we get lost in numbers, but at some point we need to understand their value and impact 
away from the game. And I think Dale Murphy embodies that. No doubt. And Tommy John, not, not a lot of people don't know that Tommy John played in 26 major league seasons. <laughs> and the only two that had it had more than that were Nolan Ryan and some guy from the early 20th century. So, you know, he pitched a lot of games. He was 286 wins. And somebody pointed out the other night they had 150 no decisions. So what if he would have had 15 or 16 more decisions? He would have won 300 games, and that would have put him in the Hall of Fame automatically. I definitely think Murphy. He was one of the nicest guys, too. He oh, yeah. A few years ago, yeah. Oh, yeah. If your favorite moment in baseball history, because I ask people, I love asking people this question because I get such a potpourri of answers. To me, the Kirk Gibson one in 88, that stands out yeah, to me. Yeah, that stands out. I, I, would, I would be a little bit more personal and say anytime I was at the ballpark with my dad. And that was always Perfect. At, here at the Sounds games. Uh, he, he loved to sit behind home plate at Greer Stadium because he was a former catcher and he liked to see the pitches. He liked to call the pitches. Nice. Yeah, so that was always a great thrill for me before dad uh, started getting on a walker and we actually had to cancel our season tickets to the Sounds games. But that was always a thrill to be with dad. Once again, he was a baseball guy. So he's all, we're always talking baseball, and you can watch the game when you're talking baseball. That's perfect. Greg, you? Um, well, since the Brewers haven't had that ultimate moment yet, I don't know. Um, any, I was enamored with Roberto Clemente. I just – because yeah. anything he did, and, yeah. and, of course, tragic, you know, how his life ended by helping people, uh, the earthquake – uh, I guess in uh, Puerto Rico, um, but uh, anything that he did and all the way through that, but I got to go to all seven games of the 1982 world series, which Wonderful. not a lot of people can say that they went to all seven games of any world series. And I went to all seven of them in 82. And so cold up there in Milwaukee. Uh, it was a little, it was actually pretty nice. You know, they played the games earlier, a little bit earlier than they do now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I saw Willie McGee in game four that Saturday uh, score from second base on a sacrifice fly. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what I remember. The well, a year earlier, he was down the street here. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot I liked uh, all of those young Brewers teams that were with the Sounds that went on to have oh, yeah. such success. Oh, yeah. Braun, Prince Fielder. You know, weeks, Giovanni Gallardo, yeah. on and on and on. Yeah. yeah. So I was at that 2017 World Series when, uh, well, who was it hit the home run in the in the sixth game to to send it to a, a seventh game, and the Cardinals ended up winning a freeze when freeze hit, David Freeze hit that home. Yes, run. we were See, there. I, yeah. I, I will pull for Russia before I will the Cardinals. <laughs> okay, I got it. <laughs> I know we're running close to the time there, but your opinion? Uh, we, we brought up Willie McGee. I mean, some of the great players that have come through here. I mean, I close back to the time of the Nashville Vols, but through the sounds here. I mean, like Steve Balboni. Yeah, you tell yeah. bye people. bye Balboni. Yeah. You, you can't talk about yeah. the sounds history without him. What a great name. Huh? Yeah, yeah. You, you can't. And Don Mattingly. Mm -hmm. Everybody remembers Don Mattingly. I think. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's just when they come through here, it's just like the old days. They come through here, everybody talks about them, everybody remembers who. The old people would tell you that the older people would tell you they, they would remember Babe Ruth playing here. So all those kinds of uh, memories are just wonderful. It's been great. Skip, again, thank you. thank you. I think this is always, whether we talk now, we talk May, we talk August, we talk December, uh, it's always fun to think about where we've been and where we're going. Yep. So. Thank you. I You're appreciate the best, you man. Me, guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thanks, anytime. Skip. You're all great. What's your Twitter handle again? Uh, Mr. Sulfordale at Twitter and also uh, Skip's Corner. Skip, under, Skip underscore Corner. And the baseball uh, site is? 
Uh, baseballinnashville.com. Thank you. He's got a lot of things there, Greg, more than you. Of course, we'd rather read Skip than you, but that's okay. That's another show. <laughs> you, all right. Thanks, Skip. You've listened to the official 615 podcast. I didn't say anything. Did you notice that? <laughs> Brought to you by our good friends at WilsonCountyHyundai.com. Greg, you want to close it out by saying anything? Yeah, thanks, Skip. Certainly. <laughs> you know what? You know, I'm a huge baseball guy. You know that. Um, and thank you for that. And thank you for everything you've done to uh, to keep it on the front burner. Uh, that's 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 the, the, the fight. So anyway, yeah. Thanks to the folks here at Omni Nashville Hotel, Music City, Todd Rotermel, everybody. And thank you for listening to the official 615 podcast.